Welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. This is a treat. My guest today is Matt Crumpton, who is a world-renowned lawyer, a world-renowned musician, but he's not here because of that. Matt, welcome in and tell us why you're here. Yeah, I've got a uh, thank you for that uh, very flattering introduction, uh, uh, Chuck. Very nice. Um, I uh, just started uh, or have uh, a podcast coming out called Solving JFK. So I'm, I'm pursuing the audacious goal of trying to figure out what happened in the Kennedy assassination uh, from an objective truth standpoint, uh, comparing conspiracy theory uh, arguments to Warren Report defender arguments, point by point. So we know for a fact that at least, what have you got? You got two, season one recorded that you're going to drop? Yeah, I've got 26 episodes recorded. I've got the audio uh, done. And then I've got four episodes, actually three, that are like fully done, that have the uh, the music and the sound effects uh, and the audio clips. So basically, I, I wrote a script, and then I and now we're going back, and then we sort of shine each one up and and make it, you know, add all the multimedia. Well, I can't wait to hear about it, but I know you haven't solved the Kennedy assassination because you're still mm-hmm. alive. And uh, <laughs> right, sure. So the. Um, I'm real quick. I grew up, uh, my dad went to Southwestern Med School. The teaching hospital for Southwestern is Parkland, of course, where uh, Kennedy went. My dad started there in the fall of 65. So everybody that worked on Kennedy was, you know, my dad's professors in med school. My dad also figured out very early on the way you dealt with all the indigents that came through Parkland is you had to get the medical records, but the medical records uh, locked up at 5 uh, p.m. And so when you were on night shift, you had to break into the records room, get the records of the patients, and that's how you were able to diagnose them. Well, when you did that, you also wandered through and you read everything about Lee Harvey Oswald. You read everything about Jack Ruby. You looked, you there was some Conley stuff in there you looked for Kennedy stuff and you couldn't find anything. Um, so anyway, I've always been fascinated with the Kennedy assassination because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote my senior thesis on it when, at uh, Rice University. So that's why I'm interested. Why are you interested in this? Yeah, well, I don't have a, a story of being personally connected to the case uh, uh, like you do with your dad there, which is really cool. Uh, but my interest... Um, you know, I was always sort of interested in it generally just, you know, the first time I heard about it, oh, there's an assassination of the president. And then the guy that, that killed him was was killed a few days later. And then all these, you know, attaching all these things to it. I started to pay attention to it probably when the movie JFK first came out and I was a kid. That's, you know, I was like 10 years old. That's when I, it, I became aware of it. And then I was a senior in college uh, doing some student teaching of 1960 uh, American history, 1960 to the present uh, for sophomore high school history uh, before I went to law school, my last semester of college. And of course, I was very focused on going out uh, and and drinking 
<laughs> at Ohio University. And uh, the JFK assassination offered the most videos that I could show the class uh, for the for the topic. But in the course of being a slacker, I did dive into the topic more, read a few books at the time, you know, um, and I definitely was, you know, I was certainly came in on the conspiracy side of things. Uh, and yeah, what what happened was sort of led me down the road of, the, of doing the podcast, actually. Is it, I read a few more books and I went, I think I got this and I think it was a conspiracy and I think I know what happened. And then I went on to these Facebook forums and there's all these, you know, guys in there uh, that, that have been doing this for a long time. And they're certain that Oswald did it alone. They, they'll, they'll bet their whole lives on it. And uh, that their certainty about it sort of made me go, OK, so this is not we, we don't have a consensus. <laughs> People have strong disagreements about it. And so what I realized, though, is in these message boards, it's kind of a metaphor for politics today. Like what happens is, you know, a conspiracy theory person will, will, will make some argument. Uh, Oswald couldn't have been in place to fire the shots. Right. And then uh, the Warren Report defender doesn't address that argument. They then go to what they think their strong argument is. Yeah, but seven people saw him shoot Officer Tippett. Right. Yeah. But, you know, Kennedy's body went back into, you know, his head went back into the left. Yeah, but, you know, look at the paperwork for the rifle, right? So nobody addresses each point. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, I'm an attorney is my is what I do for a living. I'm an attorney. I, I'm trying to go issue by issue and do basically like you would do in, a, in litigation. You'd have jury instructions. You ask the jury to make a finding on each little micro issue. So that's that's kind of what we're going to do is is uh, make a finding on all these issues. Oh, that's cool. Now. At the risk, uh, so I wrote my senior thesis on this 35 years ago, something like that, 30 years ago, and I read the books and I try to keep up as I come along, but I will be somewhat dated on this. So at the risk of being what one of the famous referees said, the guy that sits there and boos me is the same idiot that drinks too much, wanders out and can't find his car in the parking lot. I may sure. be that on the Kennedy assassination, <laughs> but I'm fascinated by this. So let, let's jump in. So kind of tell me about the podcast and how you're structuring it. Are you going to kind of go episode by episodes, uh, an argument like you laid out just a second ago? Yeah. So, you know, what, what people tend to do, and I'm, I've had the uh, good fortune or bad luck maybe of, of uh, sort of getting some followers on TikTok and and seeing what, what that uh, audience is, is like and uh, people want to jump straight to the conclusion nobody wants to go let's talk about the witnesses in the school book depository and inventory everything they said <laughs> right because that what they want to do is they want to go you know the cia did it or, or lbj did it or the driver did it or or whatever whatever they think happened they want to put that out there and then if you think something else then you're stupid well you got to show your work. This is like a real, real complex uh, math problem. And you can't just go, the answer is four. <laughs> you got to show <laughs> pages and pages and pages to back it up because it's just so hotly disputed. But in terms of how we're going to organize it, so the first episode is a, is a prologue. So that one is basically just, where are we? What happened in the case? Um, why do I care about it? What am I trying to do? Uh, we, we dive into the story of this guy, Ralph Yates, uh, early on. He's, he's one of the people that saw an Oswald lookalike, which is sort well, of late, late, lay, lay the Yates story on us, given that yeah. I like his last name. Right, right, right. 
Okay, so so um, this basically this guy Ralph Yates, uh, he's uh, an air conditioner repairman, and he picks up uh, a hitchhiker. He's just a, a good Samaritan on the Pick- highway, really close to where Oswald's rooming house was. Right, so Oswald's in near Oak Cliff in Dallas. Uh, his wife is is with Ruth Payne in Irving. And um, anyway, this hitchhiker, this is the Wednesday before the assassination. Uh, his hitchhiker starts telling Yates uh, all these strange things. He goes, hey, you hear the president's coming uh, on Friday. Yates goes, uh, no, I you know, interesting. Cool. I don't remember what he said exactly to that. Uh, but then the guy starts talking about, do you think somebody could shoot him from a tall building? And then, and then the same person he had with him, a paper sack. And he told uh, Yates that he had um, curtain rods in the sack, right? So that's that's kind of weird. Uh, then he started talking about knowing Jack Ruby, right? So and, and the guy goes, well, I don't, you know, it meant nothing to, to to Ralph Yates on the Wednesday before the assassination. So ultimately, Yates drops this guy off at uh, at his uh, place of, of business, which is the Texas School Book Depository. Okay. Uh, and then he he tells a coworker of his about the interaction. Um, says the guy's weird and says said all these things. President's assassinated on Friday, and Yates sees Oswald on TV on Saturday. And then he t- he tells his coworker, "Hey, this this is the guy I saw." He goes and he tells the police. The police then refer him to the FBI. He gives uh, three polygraphs. He takes three polygraphs where he tells a story to the FBI and he passes the polygraphs. The problem with that is that we know that Lee Harvey Oswald was at at the school book depository at the time that Yates picked up this hitchhiker. So it can't be Lee Harvey Oswald. So the question is, who who did he pick up that that looked just like Oswald and said all these things that, you know, appear to be trying to incriminate Oswald? So so anyway, uh, and this is the craziest thing. Um, J. Edgar Hoover sends an urgent teletype to the Dallas FBI office telling them to re-examine Yates because uh, he must be mistaken. He does a fourth polygraph, passes this one again, and, and this time the FBI tells Yates, well, look, you're not lying to us. You really believe what you're saying because you keep passing the polygraph. But what you're saying can't be true, so we're going to have to uh, uh, commit you to an insane asylum against your will. So they committed this guy. He's like 30 years old, father of five. They commit him to an insane, insane asylum, and he dies nine years later uh, in, in the asylum. So, oh, wow. uh, so you know, the, when I heard that, I went, why do they care? You know, it's really crazy. So so that that is sort of the introductory. We're talking about the overall layout of the podcast. That's the first little nugget within like the first 60 seconds because it, it's a um, – it's sort of a microcosm of the case overall, right? You've got the whole, well, that wasn't Oswald because we know Oswald was in the school book depository. So there's the argument, you know, defending the Warren report side, you have the conspiracy intrigue of two Oswalds. Why would there be two Oswalds unless there was something weird going on? And then you have the FBI doing something that seems very unjust. You know, there's no due process, just go straight to this insane asylum. So the, you know, there's a lot of little interesting stories like that. Yates is one of the more sensational ones, but so, so that, that, that's our, yeah, go ahead. And that came out um, with the release of documents, right? Where we found out this story. So that's right. this, this hasn't been, I mean, nobody knew about this in 1966 or 67. Yeah. 
The way that I found out about uh, about the Yates story is uh, the book uh, JFK and the Unspeakable by James Douglas. So it's it's one of the his book uh, is one of the best conspiracy leaning books. I, I think it's a little bit hard to read because he jumps back and forth between all these conversations about you know Cuban and Vietnam foreign policy uh, without like <laughs> there's there's not like a narrator explaining. He just jumps back and forth. But there's so many just little crazy stories, uh, and we're, we're going to cover all of them. Um, what I, and so what I do, the, my process, because uh, admittedly I'm someone who came into this with a conspiracy theory leaning, right? Um, I got I, I take my Vincent Bugliosi reclaiming history and my Gerald Posner case closed, like the two seminal uh, Warren Report defender books. And whenever I find something that I think is just like a smoking gun, I go, "What did they say about this?" Right. And Ralph Yates is not mentioned in Bugliosi's book at all. Now, maybe really? it's because this, maybe it's because of stuff, you know, the, I want to say, you, have to, you, you know, I can look this up, but I think the JFK and the unspeakable book came out before Bugliosi's book was published. I don't know if he just wasn't aware of the file because it hadn't come out yet, but I, that was surprising to me that it wasn't even addressed by, by neither him nor Posner. Posner is more understandable because that his book was written earlier, but, um, but anyway, so, so, so okay, yeah, so so that that's kind of the lead in on this. And yes, that's the prologue. Real quick, real quick, uh, just uh, for interest's sake, you know what I did with my thesis is I basically mm. said if someone succeeded in life, whatever their story was having to do with the assassination, it was a lie. And if somebody died early, <laughs> they were telling the truth. And it actually creates this, this yeah. uh, intrigue, this conspiracy. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that. But the official story is Warren Commission was Lee Harvey Oswald, acts alone, lone gunman, fires the three shots from the sixth floor book depository, later shoots J.D. Uh, JD Tippett, is arrested, and a act of heroism by Jack Ruby, another lone mm. assassin kills mm. Lee Harvey Oswald case closed. So case what's closed, epi- yeah. so what's episode one about? What's the first thing you dig into? So we go prologue. And then the next one is basically like a, a, a um, we, we look at the history of the investigations. So uh, we look at the three, uh, three big civil litigation matters. Uh, Cause I'm trying to lay out what's the record. What is the fair game for me to look at? Well, all the evidence from all the investigations, the Warren report, the uh, House, uh, the Warren report, Jim Garrison's uh, uh, indictment of uh, Clay Shaw in New Orleans, um, the Church com- Committee, the Pike Committee, the Rockefeller Commission, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, the ARRB, and then uh, documents since then, and then the the civil litigation. Uh, the three civil litigation thing, uh, three cases of litigation that have touched on the assassination. One of them is uh, Charles Crenshaw, one of the doctors uh, in Dallas. Uh, the American Medical Association said that he wasn't even in the room <laughs> at the time and he sued them for defamation and they settled and retracted their article. Um, uh, another one is uh, Liberty Lobby versus or E. Howard Hunt versus Liberty Lobby. Basically, this uh, former CIA officer. Uh, Vincent, Vincent Marchetti uh, wrote an article um, in a newsletter saying that E. Howard Hunt, 
uh, was one of the conspirators and he was in Dallas that day and he was involved. And so Hunt said, no, that's not true. How defamatory, you know? So he sued him for defamation or actually for libel. It was in writing. Um, and Hunt won at first and it was appealed. Mark Lane was the attorney for Liberty Lobby. And uh, Mark Lane uh, convinced, basically convinced the jurors that yeah, maybe he, yeah. so it's, it's debate, it's disputed, right? The, the pure conspiracy angle is Mark Lane convinced the jurors that, that, uh, you know, E. e Howard Hunt was, was the, the, the chief person behind the assassination. And then the other side is no, he didn't convince any juror of that. And the truth is there's a couple of jurors who have admitted that Lane did convince them. And there's a couple of jurors who said we voted that way, not because Lane convinced us, but because the standard for defamation is a higher standard when it's a public figure, it has to be, you know, intentional, et cetera. So it's, there's a lot of nuance, right? And I'm trying to unpack the nuance to land on what the real truth, like what's really going on here. Um, and then the last so one, Mark, yeah. Lane, Mark, Mark Lane just uh, wrote really the first conspiracy book called Rush to Judgment. I mean, he's yeah. the OG or the grandfather of, yes, hey, indeed. maybe the Warren Commission's not correct. So. Yes. Yeah. M right, Mark last, Lane and, and uh, Vince Salandria, the uh, the guy from Philadelphia, are the two OGs. Uh, and and Penn, Penn Jones also in Dallas. Um, uh, then the last civil litigation matter is, uh, this is the spiciest one. Um, oh man, this is like a, this is a whole rabbit hole to go down. Basically, uh, it, it's the family of this guy, Henry Marshall, who was killed in 1961. Henry Marshall was a, uh, was a, um, investigator for the department of agriculture. He's investigating this guy, Billy Sol Estes, who's basically tied into LBJ. Okay. He's oh, yeah. sort of like, you don't have to tell the Texan yeah. about Billy Sol yeah. Estes, yeah. but keep there you going. Go. So, so, uh, Bill, Billy Solestis, uh, so he's investigating Billy Solestis and he dies while he's investigating him. How does he die? Five gunshots. It's ruled a suicide. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, so the family, some 20 years later, cause this case actually was decided in 1985, 24 years later, uh, the family basically, uh, files some sort of litigation to to get the just like a, to get a declaratory judgment that no this was a murder and the judge determined that it was a murder and it wasn't a suicide what's interesting is one of the things the judge relied on was uh the testimony of billy sol estes that lyndon johnson ordered henry marshall the guy that was exhumed to be killed just like he ordered the murder of his own sister and President Kennedy, right? So that's a little spicy, you know what I mean? That's like, whoa, that's crazy. But but the thing is, this is just an, an accusation, right? So it's, you know, the question is, is this disinformation, is this intentional disinformation or is there something to it? And, you know, this is a season three issue, right? So yeah. back to the, well, what are we trying to do here? Like season well, one, like yeah. Go ahead, sorry. What I always like to, what I always like to say is as a Texan, I'm gonna be a little disappointed if LBJ didn't have something to do with it because yeah, you know, hey, come to my hometown. So what's I, what's yeah. gonna so that you're laying out all the court cases and where we get yeah, a yeah. lot of our evidence. So, what's episode two? Yeah, so here's where we go. Here, here's the bottom line. We go basically scene by scene uh of, of the case to figure out did the Warren report get it right? And if not, what are the open questions? Right. So season okay. one, we're not we're not going to solve the whole thing. It's, it's a big bag. Right. There's a lot of stuff. So 
we look at the school book depository. The first, the first episode, the question is, where was Oswald when the shots were fired? Right. That's, that's okay. the first question. I, so let let's talk this because I've always uh, I've had three things that really bother me about the Kennedy assassination, and one of those is um, one of those is how did he do all the things he uh, did? And then on the second floor encounter officer Baker in the time that they said he did. Or, mm-hmm. So go, <laughs> you're, you're, you're on. Tell me, uh, tell me about the uh, book depository and was well, he still- up there shooting? Cause my whole thing is, I guess what I should have said was my conclusion is I don't think Oswald shot. I think Oswald was having lunch somewhere and told not to be around anyone. But anyway, mm. go ahead. Well, there's there's really two uh, different questions. The first question is basically before the shots and after the shots, right? So where was Oswald before 1230? What's the evidence on that? And we have, you know, a lot of different witnesses that, that basically say that he was on the first or the second floor, although, you know, as late as 1215. We've got uh, someone in Dealey Plaza that sees a gun sticking out the window at 1215. So if Oswald's, you know, on the first floor at 12.15, he can't be, you know, in the window at 12.15. Moreover, the woman that said 12.15, they interviewed her later, and it turns out she had actually said 12.25, not 12.15. They changed her time, according to her, right? So so there's that. Um, and then, so there, that, that's the before of it all. Uh, and then the other thing is, there's a guy, Bonnie Ray, Bonnie Ray Williams, who's eating his chicken lunch, there on the sixth floor, you know, pretty close to where the assassin's nest is, the assassin's nest, it's got an official name, but the, you know, the, the, the place where they, they thought he was shooting from, um, it, it was, there was a bunch of boxes stacked up so he could kind of hide behind it. Uh, but Oswald, if, if, if he was going to arrive, you know, uh, they, they say Bonnie Ray Williams finished his lunch at like 1220. It's a disputed issue. It's got a little bit of a range. But um, let's say, you know, it's the time they say 1220. Oswald would have had to arrive uh, and not be seen by anybody because Bonnie Ray Williams started his lunch around noon. Right. So 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 there's it looks good for for Lee Harvey Oswald not being the shooter on that's that side of it. Now, let's now let's look at the second part. Now, the biggest uh, witness in favor of Oswald being a shooter is a guy named Howard Brennan. And he says he saw Oswald, actually Oswald himself, in the window with the gun. Um, and uh, but, but he's across the street and he's on the ground. Outside the building, so. And he failed to identify Oswald that, that night at the police lineup. So he changed his story for the Warren Commission. Um, so, so, so that's, that's Brennan. Uh, then there's after the shots are fired. Okay. So he's in the... Uh, He's in one corner of the building. I forget which which corner it is exactly. I don't want to say the wrong one. He's in one corner. He he. The gun is found in the other corner of the building. So he has to take the gun, stash it in the other corner of the building, and then come back and go down the stairs uh, at, to, to be at the second floor landing. And, oh, perhaps have a Coke in his hand because it was reported that he had a Coke in his hand by all these people. And he would have had to do it. Uh, and, and they said that he wasn't out of breath or anything. Uh, the time was one minute and 18 seconds. And then you have, uh, excuse me, you, ha- you have the testimony of um, Sandra Stiles, Victoria Adams. And uh, actually, Victoria Adams is the one that saw him before. 
Uh, their names are escaping me. Sandra Styles. There's 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 three women. Uh, Vicky Garner. There's someone else whose name's escaping me right now. But um, basically, they came down the stairs shortly after, uh, and they they didn't hear anything. So Oswald, they they say that they went downstairs immediately after the shots were fired. In fact, they started to go downstairs before the car had even gone under the overpass. So it's pretty immediate. Okay. But they don't hear Oswald and it's the same stairs. So, so, you know, that's, those are the, so the whole thing of, could he been in place to fire the shots? That episode looks pretty good for Oswald. It looks pretty good for conspiracy theory at the end the, of that episode. The, so the, some other things on there, cause this is one of the points that just really bothered me is I believe in Posner's book, Posner basically is doing the timeline by having him go from, the sniper's nest, if you will, to the other side of the building to hide the gun. And that's straight shot 75 feet or so. But pictures from later that day show boxes and crates everywhere. So Oswald could not have gone straight shot. He had to basically walk around the boxes to get Mm -hmm. there. That's one thing. Number two, there was a bullet in the rifle. So he had to reload. Now I'm not saying you can't reload while you're while you're uh, walking, but uh, the third thing is there's a whole lot of discussion on did he just toss the rifle? It looked like it was actually buried and hidden under some stuff, which may or may not uh, mm-hmm. take some time. The other big issue is there were I believe two people on the fifth floor sitting underneath the sniper's nest that testified that they heard. Uh, you know, shell casings hit the ground and the the rifle actually being reloaded, but they did not hear anybody run off. And so mm. you you kind of got and and the FBI duplicated it. They said yes, they were going to be able to hear the shell casings hit the ground, but they didn't hear somebody run off. Oswald had to be humping it to be able to do this. And then you get into the whole mess of uh. Officer Baker, who was following the motorcade in his motorcycle, you know, sees uh, pigeons flying off the top of the building. So he races in. He meets up very early on with Truly, who's the general mm-hmm. manager, I believe, of the book depository. And they start going up. He sees Oswald on the second floor. And it's really hard to duplicate that if Oswald hasn't just immediately run down. And so if you start putting a Coke in Oswald's mm-hmm. hand, he had to go into the kitchen, get a Coke. It starts messing with the timeline. So that one's always yeah, bothered sure. me. So I've always, sure. I agree with you. That that's mm-hmm. probably point Oswald. A good defense lawyer mm-hmm. creates enough heyday. And to his credit, what did Oswald say when he was interviewed by the police? I was sitting in there having lunch on the second floor. Right, right, yeah. So, um, so there's that. Where was he? Uh, and then we look at: Did anybody see him? You know, how did he get to the school book depository that that morning? Did anybody see him bring the gun in? Did anyone actually see him with the gun? Like, what evidence is there with that? And that it's interesting because then you, you start some some of these things like we just said Oswald being in place that one looks real good for Oswald i think there's overwhelming evidence it's tough but but what what people do people who you know um well let me just say i think you can be a reasonable person and believe that uh that Warren the Warren report got it right i think it's possible okay yeah i i i don't think 
Uh, I'm not one of these people that goes, it was a conspiracy and screw you. If you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're, you know, you're a fed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I get that. I get that on TikTok all the time because I won't like commit to, to whatever. I just want to, you know, have the freedom to find out what's actually going on. Um, not a fed, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but at any rate, um, these, these issues, uh, w- what we find overall, uh, is a lot of these issues are disputed and, and you hear something first and you go, this doesn't sound good for Oswald. So like for one of the questions, are there any fingerprints tying Oswald to the gun? Okay. And the answer is yes, there's fingerprints tying Oswald to the gun. Doesn't sound good for Oswald, but then there's the counter counter argument. What's the counter argument on that? Those fingerprints came on an index card that was mailed separately 10 days later. <laughs> and and the, the by some police officer who goes, oops, sorry. So basically, if, if you want to believe, like, like, here's the weakness in all the argument. I mean, obviously, it's a case-by-case, point-by-point issue. That's why we're doing the podcast. But basically, conspiracy theorists, the weakness in their argument is you have to believe the government fabricated a ton of evidence. Like you have to and believe a lot that the gun- of people were involved in that. And a lot, that's a, a my fair, thing. Yeah, a lot, lot of people were people. involved, right? So, so that's definitely the you know the whole someone would have talked. That's definitely the weakness in the conspiracy theory argument. Okay, um, the weakness in the Warren Report defender argument is you you have to sort of suspend disbelief as to why all these people would have lied about something, right? So you go, okay, the government records are authentic. They didn't they didn't make anything up. But instead, all the Dallas doctors are, are, you know, their their initial recollections, at least, of where the the uh, you know the head wound w- was, were incorrect. Maybe not all, okay, but right. the vast majority. Um, the Seabird and O'Neill report, Jagger Hoover sent two uh, of his FBI agents to the autopsy, and they their audience for their report was Hoover. He wanted to know what was actually going on, and basically what they said. Uh, mirrored what the Dallas doctor said for the most part. So you have to think that they're not telling the truth. And then all the witnesses, the people that saw, you know, on the overpass that said they saw smoke coming from the grassy knoll. You got a few, a few witnesses. And there's some witnesses, like there's a witness. He's in the men who killed Kennedy, which is like the seminal JFK assassination conspiracy uh, series. I think, I think pretty much most people who are interested in the, in the assassination are at least familiar with, with the men. If you've seen all those, the men who killed Kennedy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I thought it was the gold standard. And what I think we find in the men who killed Kennedy now that I've sort of gotten more serious about it is, is that there's a lot of stuff that is gold in there mixed with stuff that's, that's like disinformation and it's hard to pick out what's what a little bit. That's kind of what, you know, Yeah. but, but ultimately it ends up being opinion anyway, at the end of the day. So I'm going to look at all of it. I'm going to, if it's disinformation, we're going to, we're going to be able to, you know, say it is or go, I don't know. It's open question. So, um, you know, other questions in the, in the first season, uh, we're going to look at, um, uh, how did he escape from the school book depository? And that's okay. really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause number two thing that bugs me about the Kennedy assassination is you're going to shoot the president. Okay. Um, you probably should have an escape plan. I would think, you know, even though it was kind of thrown together last minute because the the exact route wasn't published until two days before and all that. But if you're going to do this, you ought to have an escape plan. What it feels like to me, and I'll let you get into the details of it, but basically 
you know, what happens is he walks out of the building several blocks. He catches a city bus. The city bus is stuck in traffic. He gets out. He walks a few more blocks to the downtown bus department. He hails a cab, drops him off close to, but about 10 minutes away from his boarding house. He then goes into his boarding house, grabs a pistol and a coat, and he doesn't really have much money. He's maybe got enough money for a bus ticket, but that's about it. And then he just appears to be walking aimlessly around. I, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna shoot the president, I have my pistol in my boot. If I think I'm gonna need it, that to me felt very much like, oh shit, something went down. Mm-hmm. I'm potentially in trouble. But yeah, correct me, correct me what I missed. No, I mean, I think everything you said was right. I don't know that it was a 10-minute walk. I want to say maybe it was like a three- or four-minute walk that the cab to his place, the cab driver dropped him off. Okay. But it approximately. Uh, it was not the every, front every, door. It was right. not the no, front not door. Okay. Yeah, everything yeah. is like so – so if I go 10 minutes, I just – I try to get it exactly right because I just – I'm used yeah. to, you know, people chirping. <laughs> but um, the uh, – uh, you know, the, the, the biggest question is um, – all right, so, so you, you just laid out why why would he uh, basically have no plan and and sit there and wait to be caught essentially, and the count and I've I've made this argument too that this is one of the things where I'm in the Facebook forums with these guys that are super serious and I made the exact same argument you made okay and just overwhelmed with responses of you know Oswald's a crazy person you can't try to understand a crazy person he's a loon he's a like the, their theory of the case is. He just on a lark brought the gun to to work that day, and then the same thing you had mentioned before. Why didn't he take the shot uh, w- when he came around the corner of uh, Elm and Maine? What, what he comes around that you know the the motorcade. Oh yeah, the, we're gonna have the, to talk a... that one next. But yes. right, okay. there, I, the... I was, yeah, okay, that's yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I was gonna say keep going on the escape thing because I think the Warren the Warren Commission defenders say to your point he's crazy. Uh, at that point, he didn't think he was going to get out of the building, and so he really didn't have a plan. Um, yeah. Well, there, there's know. also the why would he not? Why would he not have taken the easier shot? But why would he not have been in place far in advance? This is his play. He brought a gun just to kill the president. And oh, by the way, the motorcade was supposed to. It was running like 20 minutes late. So, so if it would have been on time, he would have totally missed his opportunity. And the counter argument to this is. Well, it wasn't that important to him whether he shot Kennedy or not. It was just kind of like he's just on a lark, just doing like crazy things crazy people do. Who are we to try to understand crazy people, right? This is the the argument. I mean, to me, what Oswald's doing is, you know, he's going around sitting next to different people in the Texas theater. He goes and he sits right next to each one of them, right? This is what he's witnessed doing by uh, one of the witnesses there. I forget the name. It's, it's cited. Don't worry. Everything, every factual proposition is cited. What? Uh, in this podcast. But um, I mean, he looks like he's intelligence. He looks like he's trying, he was told to go there and he's trying to meet somebody. Right. But this yeah. is, that's, that's sort of, that's a down the See the challenge with this case is everybody wants to jump straight to the, was he CIA? What? And I'm, I'm just trying to answer all the preliminary questions first, and then we'll go to that with season two. When we get to it, it's going to be who was Oswald really. And then season right. three is if not Oswald, then who? That's when that's you know we start going down all these different angles. But um, 
yeah, did you want to talk more about the uh, yeah, let's, uh, so let's, shot? let's, yeah, let's do this. So the third big thing that bothered me, and this came into to question for me when I went up to Dallas and went to the sixth floor depository of the depository, the museum. And I actually, this was before they glassed it in. So, I mean, this was early days. I actually was able to sit right in front of that window and look straight out. Um, this is before they'd glassed it and done the reconstruction with the boxes. This was like very, very early days. And what, what is just so obvious to me is if you're going to shoot the president of the United States and you want an easy shot to kill him, he comes down Main Street, he turns right onto Houston. And we can get into the whole conspiracy on should they have just gone straight down Main and not taken mm-hmm. Stebbins Freeway. There's also the whole intrigue about to, to turn left from Houston onto Elm Street is actually more than a 90 degree turn. And supposedly uh, Secret Service rules say you never turn the president more than 90 degrees. But anyway, so you turn on to Elm, right there, he slows down, stops, even I could hit that shot. The safest Mm -hmm. place for a bird in the world is me with a shotgun in my hand (laughs) and the bird being about 10 feet above me. I'm a horrible Mm -hmm. shot, but even I can make that shot. And then you look down Elm Street where the shots actually occurred, that's a gradient of about 11 degrees. He's going down and away, and there's a whole bit of discussion on exactly what trees were actually in place at the time of the uh, assassination, because they've got pictures, but when the FBI came out to do their recreations, there was a question of whether some of the trees had been pruned or not. But Mm -hmm. that's a really, really hard shot. And what you hear Warren Commission defenders saying is, well, he let the car go there so that he could shoot and make his getaway, which then contradicts, well, why didn't he have an escape plan? But two, I actually think that made it more likely he's going to get caught because the, the car was early on in the motorcade and the police were following behind. So actually, he's mm-hmm. got the police, if he waits to shoot down Elm Street. So anyway... That's always bothered me. Uh, he's a, he's a wacky, wild, and crazy guy. Who are we to try to uh, project, uh, you know, uh, wisdom onto him? I guess is the counter argument. I mean, I, I, that's I, I think it's a persuasive point. Um, what you're talking about though is the the uh, the difficulty of making that shot. That segs nicely into sort of the next uh, section of of things we look at, which is Oswald's rifle. We look at the the documentary evidence for it like you know actually the the order that he placed and the the deposit and how they you know the 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 company i forget the seaport rifle seaport traders or whoever it was the place he ordered it from uh we follow their deposit we follow the serial number we find the you know the 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 uh the the ship from Italy where the Carcano was, was shipped at. We can really f- trace it back all the way. Um, so, so that's, so that doesn't look good for Oswald. Right. But then this conspiracy counterpoint is, well, the FBI had an informant and it was the Dallas postal inspector there. They were supposed to fill out all these forms to get firearms. None of those were filled out. No one remembers ever seeing a rifle there. Right. So, so, so basically like it just goes back to, do you think the government fabricated evidence if so, they were in a position to, but 
you kind of have to, you, if you're a conspiracy believer, you have to go back to that well many times is, is the challenge. But so that, then there's the, um, uh, uh, was Oswald a good shooter? You know, and and there's this is a mixed bag there. You know, people point to his Marines records and there's one instance of where he's an average to good shooter. The, the last time he shot, he was horrific. He was terrible. He got the rating of marksman, which is the lowest rating. Right. But the time before that, he was much better. So it's um, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. So an interesting point on that front that, again, one of the other things that's always bothered me is official record, according to the Warren Commission, is he shot three times. The first shot missed, and the first shot actually hit the curb, and a piece of debris flew up and hit a guy by the name of James Teague in the face. James Teague actually had a cut in blood, so, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was real. It was not him saying that. Uh, at some point later, the FBI went in and dug metal out of the curb where the mark mm-hmm. was made mm-hmm. and matched it to the rifle or the ammunition appropriate for that rifle. But what's weird about that, and again, crazy guy, who knows? So he wildly misses the first shot right? when right, he can right. aim the whole time, wildly misses it. And then nails two shots that are as good a shooting as you can possibly do. Right. So I mean, it's it's almost like he throws up a, an air ball on a layup, and then he steps back and cans two three pointers back to back. Which I'm not right. saying can't happen, but I think I hit the first shot. Sure. I might miss I, the second. I think the most damning conspiracy theory uh, sort of favored evidence when it comes to the shots being fired outside of the Zapruder film and the medical stuff, which we'll get to is, is, is all the witnesses uh, that tell you how it sounded and the sequence of the shots. There's, there's dozens of what there are dozens of witnesses who say, yeah, I think there were three shots. It went pow, pow, pow. Like everybody says that the, the second two shots were in quick succession, and that's that's a that's a, a deal breaker for for uh, being able to to load it with the the Carcano. Um, so so you know, but again, the the, the Warren Report weakness, uh, if you're a Warren Report defender, is you got to go. Eyewitnesses are mostly wrong. Most of the eyewitnesses are wrong. Believe the government, not the eyewitnesses. Believe the documentary report evidence, not the eyewitnesses. So, look, uh, in criminology, uh, it is true that eyewitnesses are wrong uh, in many cases. But what are they wrong about? They're wrong about identifying someone they've never seen, right? But they're not often wrong about, did you see, like, approximately what happened? You know what I mean? Right. Um, Especially when you average a lot of people together. Uh, Another issue is the Italian, the, the gun. What was the gun? Was it a Carcano or was it a German Mauser? Because there's different reports um, of different guns. And and, the, and why does that matter? It kind of sounds like a red herring. Well, if there really was a Mauser, then what the heck is that? There was another rifle up there that day. Like, what was that? And how did it get out of there? So, you know, the biggest question is why why was that? How is that something that was that was wrong uh, in the early reports? Because early, early reports, even on television, is that it was a Mauser. How could they yeah. get that wrong? So, so that's a question. And then on Dealey Plaza, uh, we look at the abnormalities with the motorcade and security plan, kind of what, what you talked about. There's a guy named Vince Palomera that's kind of the expert on Secret Service stuff. 
on the conspiracy side of things. Um, and then we look at, uh, you know, where do people see shots coming from in Dealey Plaza? Uh, were there any, here's a big one. Were there any secret service agents that were in Dealey Plaza that day outside of the motorcade? And the answer is no, but there are numerous witnesses that say that they saw someone with a badge at the top of the grassy knoll telling them to get down and go away. So who's yeah, that guy? <laughs> yeah, there, there are multiple people, and uh, they also, uh, in those reports, it's pretty consistent that people talk about the guy had really greasy, dirty hands. And you know, right. if you're gonna, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're gonna say, well, maybe it was a, you know, a police officer instead of Secret Service or something, maybe that's mistaken. But time and time again, witnesses are talking about very greasy, dirty hands mm-hmm. on yeah. that person. Yes. That's true. That is definitely true. Um, Then we kind of look at, I mean, we we look at, again, could Oswald have made the shots in time? Uh, We look at the Zapruder film and all that. Well, and the rifle actually, the rifle actually, when the FBI tried to do it with with Oswald's uh, rifle, the scope was off. Now, the innocent decision, the innocent defense of that is, well, it's my rifle. I know it's off. But, you know. Again, and just one, one, one more thing to, throw, to yeah. throw in there. So, so in terms of the scenes, we got the school book depository. Then we we look at the rifle and the shooting, and then we go back to Dealey Plaza and look at all the witnesses there in Dealey. And then, and, and that takes a couple episodes, right? And then we go to Parkland, okay, and look oh, at um, uh, was Jack Ruby at Parkland? Uh, you know, when what did the doctors say about the wounds at Parkland? The thing, the thing about Parkland is, um. The it's not just doctors uh, giving you know a deposition testimony months later. We have the medical reports from that day. You know what I mean. So so as an attorney, if you're if you're doing medical malpractice lawsuit, one of the things you get is all the documents related to the case. You get a medical report because that's something that's t- taken in the course of business. You're not generally going to lie about a medical report. The medical reports from from uh, Parkland mirror everything the doctors say. Now. And again, the Parkland doctors basically support conspiracy because they generally say that it was not generally a number of them say that this is an entry wound, not an exit wound where they later did the tracheotomy. Uh, And they also said that the wound was in the back of his head, not on the side of his head. Right. Um, So what the argument people make is, well, emergency room doctors are trying to save lives, not diagnose you know, how it happened. They're just so not doing like an autopsy. That, yeah, yeah, that wasn't their job. They're not focused right. on that. But the counterpoint is, you know, could you tell if someone had a hole in the back of their head instead of, especially the guy that the most persuasive uh, on that is Dr. McClelland, um, who's holding the head. He's right there. He's the one closest to Kennedy's head. And and he just talks about how like stuff's falling off on his, like the brain matters falling off onto the floor because there's such a big hole in the back of his head. Like, I don't know. It seems like he'd remember that, but you know, maybe not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, so, it's, it's a, a tough so, one. So two points here. Um, one dad will tell you that the second, the third shot rang out, Kennedy was dead. I mean, d- dad said the head wound killed him. There was sure. no recovery from that. Dad said, right. if he had a chance to recover, it would have been because of the medical talent he saw at Parkland. So this is not a dock in the box on the corner right. of some bad neighborhood somewhere. Dad says this is 
premier medical talent that literally was the best. And, you know, Mm -hmm. my dad's a good doctor and all, and he says it's because he was trained by the best. So that's number one. Second thing. uh, And you and I talked about this the other day. There was a guy by the name of Earl Rose and Earl Rose was a County medical examiner and a pathology professor and the interesting thing is Oswald would not have been charged with a federal crime because he violated no federal crime, but he would have been charged in the state of Texas for murder. Mm-hmm. And at that point, state law said every defendant to a murder charge has the right for the victim to have an autopsy done by the county medical examiner. So Earl Rose was supposed to do the uh, autopsy on JFK. And all sorts of speculation, no definitive, but there is at least one train of of narrative that Earl Rose got called and he was in the room before Kennedy even got there, that they Mm -hmm. knew he was dead or at least potentially going to be dead. So he was there. He saw all the stuff going on. And Earl Rose was kind of Quincy before there was a Quincy. You're too young to remember the TV show, but this was a a doctor that fought crime by using medical (laughs) knowledge to do it. One of the things Earl Rose did one time is uh, a girl was found shot dead in her apartment by a shotgun. The police are arresting the boyfriend who's in the room. The boyfriend's gone. I swear to God, the shots came from outside. Earl Rose goes, hold on. He puts string in each one of the holes bullet holes in the girl and he gathers the string back because a shotgun Mm -hmm. scatters as it shoots and lo and behold the gathering place was outside and there was a big limb on the tree and they go out there they find cigarettes and tennis shoe prints turns out it's an ex-boyfriend so i mean he was fighting crime real straight shooter so anyway dad took pathology from Earl Rose. They were actually pretty good friends. One time after class, it's dad and another student. And the other student walks up and says, I'd love to ask you about the Kennedy assassination. You know, I'm very fascinated by blah, blah, blah. And Earl Rose looked at the student and just said, everything I have to say is in the Warren Commission. You can read it there. I don't talk outside of that. Student goes, okay, walks off. And uh, just my dad and Earl Rose in the room uh, by uh, himself. And Earl Rose looks at my dad and says, that wasn't an exit wound, meaning <laughs> it was an entrance wound, right. pointing to that. And, and Earl Rose arguably saw that before the tracheotomy was done. And as dad says, Earl Rose knows the difference between an entry and an exit wound. Uh, so when I wrote my senior thesis at Rice, so this is spring of 91, Earl Rose, I believe, was teaching in Iowa at the time. I somehow tracked down his number. You know, this is pre-internet, but somehow I I do this. I call him and I say, hey, I'm Chuck Yates. I'm, you know, Charles III, my dad's junior. He was a student of yours. And Earl Rose actually said, I remember your father. I was quite fond of him. And I Mm -hmm. said, well, you know, and I repeated the story about dad said you said this in the room. And I'd just like to know if it was true. And Earl Rose said, I bet you would. And he hung up. <laughs> so so yeah, anyway, well, I, I, I somebody that, who wants to live. <laughs> so somebody that potentially wants to live. And maybe I'm glad mm. he didn't tell me and yeah. I didn't publish a book or anything. But uh, dad, dad said if Earl Rose did the autopsy, 
we would know exactly what happened that he was that sure. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a great, that's cool that you have that personal connection to the assassination and, you know, I'm sure it, it's, it's funny. Like I hear something like that and my mind goes, that sounds like a conspiracy. You got right. but, but, but then I, I, you could share that same story on, on, in one of these Facebook groups and they'd hit you with like nine citations of how actually Earl Rose, you know, like it's just, I don't know. And, it's just, and, it's and, wild. And in all fairness, if Earl Rose and my dad are close and they hadn't talked in years, mm-hmm. but if they're close and I, I say, I uh, say, you know, I'm writing my thesis at Rice right. and I heard this and I'm, you know, breaking the story. His answer allows me to put it in my thesis where if he exactly. says, Hey Chuck, your dad's making that up. Your dad's pulling your leg, which is quite possible. I mean, my dad sure. might do that, right. but so there is an explanation for why. Right, right, right. Just one other thing here. This is kind of a side note, but my favorite conspiracy theory uh, that I think has been disproven, but there was a gunsmith named Howard Donahue who theorized that what actually happened is Oswald shot three shots from up there, but the actual fatal headshot was fired by Secret Service agent George Hickey with an AR-15 because he rose up when he heard the first shot with his gun and it accidentally fired, and that was the shot Mm -hmm. that killed Kennedy. So his point on that is, one, it explains the big cover-up, because there's huge embarrassment here, number one. Number two, it gives it give it it follows what the Dallas doctors were saying in terms of observations, and then it makes sense on why Bethesda would say something different because they knew mm-hmm. they had to cover it up. There's also, um, you know, one of the bullets, you know, went through, uh, and and supposedly the. Carcano bullets are really tough, so they would have gone straight through. And and in fact, the bullet that uh, hit Kennedy and and then hit Conley, the the magic bullet, if you will, the mm-hmm. pristine bullet, yep. you know, is is totally intact. But the headshot bullet seemed to just disintegrate because they had pieces of bullet everywhere and the like. And so he said, that's more. Uh, symptomatic of an AR-15s type mm-hmm. ammunition. So that was his whole theory, um, which I love the book. I read the book about it. It's great. It's exciting. The only problem is not not even one witness said that. Mm-hmm. And again, you've got yeah. to have everybody covering that up. Let's let, let's talk a little bit about the cover up uh, part of it because that's something that, and I don't want to give give the game away here <laughs> okay but, um, you don't have to give the game away but, i want well, everybody well, i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch yeah, and yeah. Listen to all these podcasts and i want everybody else to too no 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 it's good the, the whole thing with the cover-up it's this i, I want to just throw out a maybe a, a possibility for people to consider if you're someone who goes there's no scenario where uh you'd have multiple people participating in a cover-up i would challenge you to consider okay what if all those people were given a cover story that they actually believed and they believed that their lies were noble for a different purpose, right? So this is this is kind of like the onion peel theory of the case. Mark Lane was one of the first people that talked about this, but 
Earl Warren and Lyndon Johnson are on the record also talking about it. And, and it's this, this is the whole, again, I'm getting ahead of myself here, kind of a, a season two thing, but Oswald went to supposedly went to Mexico city. Okay. Uh, the, shortly before the assassination and supposedly he went to the Cuban embassy and the Russian embassy. And this, this is meant to show that, Hey, he was actually worked. It was a conspiracy. Oswald did it, but it was the Cubans and the Russians. And look, they got us. Okay. And if we don't uh, lie about some of these things, then the American people are going to demand retaliation and we're going to have to go into a nuclear war. Like we, we, we have to, we, we can't just let them kill our president. So we need you to go lie to the American people. Not, we need you to basically craft this lie to protect people from, from finding out that it was a conspiracy by Russia and Cuba. Right. And the thing is, you, if that's the case, then most of the people that are like the, like the, street level FBI agents that are doing things that are shady or whatever in the case that that would be understand. They're not a bad person. They're a Patriot, right? Like right. if that's what they believe is happening. So I think that I'm not saying that is definitely what happened. I'm just saying you have to preserve that as a possibility. What if they did know, but they thought it was good and they still believed it was good. So they continued to not say it because they thought they were being so good. Even though a lot well, of people have sort of ruined the secrecy by admitting Earl Warren put this in his, in his memoir. It's in the Earl Warren memoirs. Well, anyway. and 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 you can, I mean, make make the circle even smaller. Maybe that's J. Edgar Hoover, Robert Kennedy, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Earl Warren, and maybe like Arlen Specter, who you know winds up being a senator, but he's a young lawyer for the uh, Warren Commission, mm -hmm. and maybe they're the the folks that just get together and say we have to do this. You can put pressure on subordinates where, yeah. okay, this is the story they want. I'm going to get fired if I don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe my bonus is going to be better. We we all right. have had jobs where our boss wants this. We don't know why, but we're going to do it mm -hmm. anyway. So it doesn't right. even have to go out as big as people are thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, and I and yeah, I, I, we get to all that stuff later. I, I don't know that Robert Kennedy was. I think they kind of kept him at, at length, uh, but um, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of possibilities of of what it could be uh, in terms of people's motivation to say something other than what's actually going on. So, um, but yeah, man, we talk uh, we talk autopsy, we talk single bullet theory, and mag is the magic bullet theory could it be possible? Now the count, everybody goes the magic bullet came down here and then it went this way and this way and did all these crazy things. And then the counter argument is no, the jump seat was moved in. It was lower. And actually, if you look at the trajectory, it all kind of matches up and stuff. And you look at that and you go, oh, I don't know. But then you look at the bullet and the bullet itself is pristine. Just like you said, it's only missing a few grains, not grams, grains. Uh, and so the, the amount of like one thing that kind of gives that away, like I, my opinion as to why I don't think the magic bullet theory is credible is the weight of the, of the bullet that was, that was left behind in Connolly's wrist and thigh, uh, is going to be larger than the, uh, than the grains, the amount of bullet that was lost from the pristine bullet. Now the problem with this, <laughs> with my point I'm making is that this is just a, a it hasn't been proven. So you, you look at the X-ray, Connelly's X-rays, and you can see the 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 particles in, in his body, 
but he wouldn't have them take, he wouldn't allow them to be removed so that you could actually measure and see. In fact, wait a minute, if you weigh the, the particles from his body and you weigh the bullet and then you take the weight of a normal bullet, is it going to be more than a normal bullet? Right. But, but that, that analysis wasn't ever done, but the chain of custody for, for CE 399. One other other thing when we're on the, the pristine bullet that has to do with Conley and I'm going to mess these details up. So I'll, I'll give you the spirit of it, even though my details may be wrong. What dad says watching the Zapruder film is, is he doesn't believe it could be a single bullet because Dad says with the um, uh, the injuries that Conley had, and oh, by the way, Dr. Red Duke, who's a very famous Texas doctor who passed away a few years ago, uh, was a young intern actually working on Conley. No, hmm. You know, another just bit of trivia. Dr. Red Duke was uh, on TV in Houston, Texas. I'm Red Duke, and a colorful character. But anyway, hmm. uh, what Dad would tell you is with, Conley's injury, uh, Conley, when he got shot because of the injury to his, his nerves and his arm, his mm-hmm. hands would have immediately gone open. Mm-hmm. And so his hat drops. So the fact in the Zapruder film that you see Kennedy reacting and Conley still has his hat and then it, you know, it takes longer than what dad thinks would been the reaction time is dad's guesstimate that it was a second bullet that hit Conley. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. I mean, the uh, there's five uh, people that have uh, custody of the bullet from the time it's discovered to the time it gets to its, you know, gets to the Warren commission. And there's all kinds of issues with the, with um, the, the chain of custody. We, we, we go into it. We spend, spend it was found on a stretcher. I mean, it was found on a stretcher that they're not even sure that Conley was on, right? Yeah, yes, outside of his operating room. But also it was found before the doctors did the surgery on on his uh, his leg, which is that's what it, it, you know, the bullet landed in his leg. It was the last thing. And uh, anyway, it's it's just one one more of those things. Now, Warren Report defenders have a counterpoint for it. They have a counterpoint for everything. So, uh, except for, except for Ralph Yates, (laughs) they don't have a counterpoint for Ralph Yates. Um, but, uh, their counterpoint would be like, you know, uh, interesting story doesn't matter because we know Oswald did it. Right. Well, (laughs) I I mean, mean, it, it, it could have, it could have gotten stuck in Conley's leg. He's wheeled in on this stretcher and it just pops out. It just falls out. Right. You know, as they're moving him around, they don't. So, I mean, again, it's not possible. It's yeah, not so impossible. It's, yeah, it, that's right. That's right. Um, it, JD Tippett is probably one of the areas of the case that gets the least amount of attention. But uh, I forget which researcher it was that said this, but that's the JD Tippett part of the case is sort of like the Rosetta Stone to the Kennedy assassination. That's that's where it, it, you kind of go, huh, what is happening here? So um, two, two things, two reasons why. One is... Uh, Tippett's behavior before is wild. He's doing all these crazy things. He's sitting, waiting at a, uh, he's waiting for uh, people to get off of a bus at this uh, place that was the bus that Oswald was on. 
before he got off the bus to get into a cab, Tippett's sitting there waiting for Oswald to get off of that bus. Like it's it, where now we don't know if that's what he was doing, but that's where that bus stop was. Right. So, um, and then he, uh, he goes to uh, top 10 records, urgently goes in to make a phone call. Nobody answers and he slams it down and he's all upset. And that phone is still there today. I'm, I'm looking forward to going to top 10 records and I'm in Dallas uh, next weekend. I'll be down there for the, uh, uh, Citizens Against Political Assassinations Conference. So it's all the super uh, uh, lifelong researchers who are just going to ridicule me for, you know, solving JFK. Son, I've been doing this for 40 years. Like, I get it. I get it. I'm just trying to make a cool podcast, man. I want to <laughs> listen to what these people have to say. But but anyway, so and then Tibbet pulls over a guy uh, and then he uh, he frantically searches that guy's back seat. Like this is like minutes before. And then, and then uh, the guy that ends up killing Tippett, who you know allegedly Oswald, uh, walks back. The witnesses that see, that saw this see the guy walk back towards Tippett. If, if he's fleeing the police, why would he stop and walk back to the police car and put his hands on the? He's had oh, his hands yeah. in the way. It, it was like he knew the person. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He, so so that's weird. Um, but but there's, and they there's heard several... them arguing, right? The witnesses also said they were arguing, didn't they? Uh, that was at, so basically it was started out nice, and then the guy got around and walked out, and then and, uh, the shooter uh, he he was it was on the passenger side window. He then walked around to the driver's side. Tippett got out, and he, then he shot and killed Tippett. Uh, and, and that, so what's interesting is this guy then leaves. And you have a, not like, you know, I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, five to 10 witnesses who say he looked a lot like Oswald. Okay. And that's, but they all say that he's wearing a white shirt and, and a, and a zip up jacket. They don't say that he's wearing a white shirt with a brown shirt over it and a zip up jacket. Of course, uh, the warrant, you know, you could go, well, you're not going to be able to see the brown shirt if he's wearing a jacket and it's totally covered. Maybe you didn't see it, but you would think that of all those witnesses, one of them would have been able to correctly identify that he had a brown shirt on. And this gets into the, like the whole, you know, where there two Oswalds? This is the, this is a, a repeating theme of, of, uh, of the podcast is like, what are you signing up to believe? Right. So one of the, like, if, it's a conspiracy theory and it's not Oswald alone. And there's some shenanigans going on. Like the most likely way that happens is with two Oswalds, which is totally bonkers. It is bonkers. Yeah, I agree. But the reason I say it's the most likely is because that's what the, that's what the record said. We have five people saying uh, that, you know, now I'm going back to Dealey Plaza. We have five witnesses who say that they saw a man run out of the back of the book depository, the school book depository, down the hill in Dealey Plaza and get into a green Nash, a light green Nash Rambler. What yeah. is that? What and is that? Unrelated, those five people are unrelated. It's not yeah. like they were, you know, a husband and a wife that talked about it later. Yeah. Right. So, so that, so I'm just, again, and, and then the counter argument to that is, well, that's crazy. Right. <laughs> Unpack that for me. And my response to that is fair enough. Not ready to unpack it yet. I'm still kind yeah. of di- digesting, digesting it myself. That's all I'm saying. But, but so yeah, uh, the t- the tip of shooting is is pretty interesting. Um, and then we get into uh, you know Oswald in the Texas theater. We got somebody else in the Texas theater that says there's two Oswalds. We got Butch Burroughs, the concessionaire, says that he saw a guy go out the back and get arrested, and a guy go out the front and get arrested. 
But we know Oswald came out the front. Where'd the other guy go? And then, uh, well, then like half an hour after that, uh, Oswald Oswald is identified uh, by by a guy who's a mechanic in a nearby parking lot, and he goes up and makes eye contact with him. He writes down the plate before the guy as the guy drives away, and the plate's registered to JD Tippett's best friend. What? What are we doing? Oh wow! <laughs> it's just wow. like I'm so. And and the counterpoint to that is weird coincidence, right? That guy must have been mistaken. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's, wow. That's, that's, I I hadn't heard, uh, heard that one before, but yeah, no, I can't wait till you get into, and I don't want to steal your thunder because I'm looking forward to to listening to the podcast, but the, the two Oswald stuff, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. There's just so many occurrences of people swearing they saw Oswald at the same time. For a mm-hmm. long time, not just, you know, the 72 hours around the assassination. Yeah. And th- there's also people that saw Oswald uh, at a shooting range. Uh, there's a kid, Homer, somebody, Dr. Homer, somebody, I remember his name's Homer, like Homer Simpson. Uh, this doctor and his son went to a shooting range and they said they were next to a guy who looked identical to Oswald. And he was shooting like some crazy gun and like saying all types of crazy stuff. Right. But it's like we know on those days where people say that they saw this, Oswald himself was with Ruth Payne and Marina. Right. So and and Ruth and Marina, you know, support his alibi that he couldn't have been at the shooting range. Also, he didn't have a car. So it, it's it, there's also an Oswald lookalike sighting at a guy who talks about killing the president from a tall building uh, when he's going to buy a car. There's also an Oswald lookalike sighting where uh, the morning uh, this guy buys a Coke at a nearby convenience store near Dilly Plaza that morning. And he, and the guy goes, no, he was in here. It looked just like him. But, well, uh, but we the, know that, yeah. The interesting part about that is uh, lifelong friends of Oswald will say he was a Dr. Pepper guy. And yet you mm. have a couple of instances of somebody buying a Coke instead of a Dr. Pepper. Now, the innocent explanation is, hey, they just didn't have a Dr. Pepper, so I got a Coke or right. whatever. But I, My favorite conspiracy is that this whole thing is just a big ploy by Coca-Cola. To, it's like basically like they're, they're working in their, their – uh, it's like an in-conspiracy advertising placement. Like in TV shows, they, you know, they like pay to have their product. It's a product placement right. inside the conspiracy <laughs> theory. So that's good. So the, all right. So Matt – But um, yeah. I always love to end every podcast with five questions. Mm. So uh, are you up for five questions? Let's play. JFK assassination edition. Oh my gosh. This is like my dream. I love it. All yes. right. Let's, let's do this. And I'm actually, I bet you're going to get all these. But uh, anyway, so mm. that day, that fateful day of the assassination, there were three presidents in. Dallas on that day. Name them. Two of them are obvious. Uh, people who had previously been president or would go on to be president. Yes. So that, all of that the counts above. LBJ. Maybe. LBJ uh, and Kennedy. And then uh, is this the Nixon was giving a speech at the Pepsi yeah. thing? Exactly. Yeah, Nixon. So Richard, Richard Milhouse Nixon was uh, – and this is what's really interesting. He spent the night at the Baker Hotel – and he had security outside his door, but the security was not there because Richard Nixon was the former vice president. 
The security was there because three doors down was the actress Joan Crawford, who was the widow of the uh, chairman of the Bottlers Association of, of Pepsi. Huh. And that's why she was at the uh, she was at the meeting. So, you know, and and OK, you go, OK, that's just a weird, you know, little quirk of fate. And actually, Nixon wrote Jackie Kennedy a really nice letter uh, talking about how they were friends before they were adversaries. Well, if you start thinking the CIA did it, who in effect ran the CIA under in the Eisenhower administration? Whose baby was the Bay of Pigs that Kennedy fucked up? Yes. A lot of the characters you're going to get into probably in about season three pop up in the Watergate scandal. The same names, you know, so. Have you ever heard of Daniel Sheehan? No. Okay. Look him up. His his, uh, lectures are on YouTube. This guy was an attorney. Uh, he is an attorney. He's like a pretty famous attorney. He's done a lot of like civil rights stuff. Um, uh, so he, anyway, um, he started out his career working for F. Lee Bailey. You know, you okay, heard, yeah. He's, he's a famous defense attorney in Boston. Yeah. And the greatest. They represented two people that are very connected to all these things. James McCord, the Watergate burglar who had yep. a check in his pocket when he was arrested. Uh, yeah. and, um, Santos Traficante. Oh yeah. The, the, mafia the mobster. Mob. So these guys told Sheehan what happened. The, the, the attorney, they just laid the whole case out. So he teaches a class. It's at university of uh, California, Santa Clara. This just shows you how much the environment's changed around conspiracy theories. He taught a whole class and it's all on YouTube, all of his lectures. And he goes deep. But he basically has personal knowledge and he kind of lays out like sort of the ultimate conclusion he kind of lays out. Now, I don't know. You know, I haven't got around to vetting it and cross check. That's one of the things I'm going to talk to, like the experts of this conference I'm going to. Like, what do you think about Daniel Sheehan? Um, Because that guy seems to lay it all out. And the people that are involved told him. (laughs) So it's like, I don't know. Um, So, so, yeah. So so Nixon, one last thing on Nixon. in the movie, the or the show, the men who killed Kennedy, they talk about this big meeting that was at the Murchison Ranch, and Nixon's there, and LBJ's there, and Bush is there, and all these things. That that appears to have never happened. Um, uh, that appears to be one of the things from the men who killed Kennedy that's kind of like disinformation. But it is true that Nixon was in fact there. It's just not true that there's no evidence that Nixon was at this Murchison party. Is my again, and maybe there is, but I've I've heard a lot of credible people in the, on the conspiracy side of it going, no, that, that's not true. That's disinformation. So. Yeah. So Nixon supposedly boarded, uh, boarded a, uh, a flight um, about an hour before the assassination. Mm, so he was, sure. he was actually yeah. in the air when it happened. Right, right, right. But by the way, just a quick side note, my favorite uh, Watergate uh, story is everybody always says G Gordon Liddy's the only one that didn't talk. And whenever you ask G. Gordon that, he said, that is not true. The young Cubans we hired to break in with us, they never talked because when they were on the witness stand, they said, you know, the prosecutors were pointing and saying, is that the man that ordered you to break in? And the uh, young Cubans line was, I don't know. All those white guys look the same to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. All right. So you're one for one on question. Question number two. March 6th, 1975, on the TV show Goodnight America, what young enterprising reporter 
reveals the Zapruder film to the public for the first time? Geraldo Rivera. Ah, there you go. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that wild? <laughs> Geraldo, it is crazy, uh, yeah. Well, what's, what's crazy is that that sort of exposed Dan Rather as, that was as question someone who number wasn't three. telling the truth. Oh, sorry. That was question number three. What prominent broadcaster actually lied about that? And uh, go ahead and yeah. set up what Dan Rather yeah. did. Dan Rather says that, oh, I've, I've seen the, the, the film of it. And you can see in the film his head snapped violently forward after being hit. Right. That's not what happened. Because so. CBS, CBS was bidding against Time Life to buy the Zapruder film so they were allowed to view it once. And so the defense of Dan Rather is, I viewed it once. I was on live TV having to talk about it. I still don't know how you get violently forward uh, mm -hmm. out of that. Yeah. And he actually demonstrates it when he talks. Uh -huh. You can go on YouTube uh -huh. and, and see it. So, all yeah. right. So you're, th you're three for three. All right. What prominent uh, media figure actually drove... Lee Harvey Oswald's mother from Fort Worth to uh, to to Dallas on the night of the assassination, and give us kind of the backdrop on that story. Prominent media figure drove Oswald's mother to da to, to from Dallas to Fort Worth and the the assassination. Yeah, am I gonna break uh, one on you? I don't think you got me on that one. I don't know if I knew if I know that one. Okay, the Bob Schaefer. Bob, Bob Schieffer. Okay. So CBS News, meet the uh, or uh, face the nation. Mm -hmm. He was a young reporter for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. He worked the night desk. The assassination happens. He immediately goes to the office because he's the young reporter. Everybody else is over in Dallas trying to break the story. He gets a phone call and a lady says, "I need a ride over to Dallas." He says, "Ma'am, we're not a taxi company. We're a newspaper." She's uh, and the president's been shot. And she says, I know my son has been accused of shooting him. So Bob goes over uh, with another fellow. I'm blanking on the name, but picks her up. He interviews her in the back of the car on the drive. And back in those days, press people didn't identify themselves as the press. He had a hat and a suit on. So he looked like he might be a detective of some sort. Mm -hmm. He walks into the Dallas police department with Mrs. Oswald. Um, he's there for about six hours. At about hour six, Ms. Oswald goes, I'd really like to speak to my son. So Bob Schieffer goes to the police chief, says, hey, uh, Ms. Oswald would like to speak to her son. They say, well, okay, I guess we should do that. So Bob Schieffer's actually thinking he's going to get in and be able to talk to Oswald the, he turns around to go get Ms. Oswald, and the police chief goes, by the way, who are you? And he has to disclose, I'm Bob Schieffert, I'm a reporter. So he mm -hmm. gets kicked out. But the interview with Mrs. Oswald got picked up nationally, so it made mm. his career. And literally till the day he retired at CBS News, if you called his office, he answered his phone. Because he said, if I, don't make, if I don't answer that phone call, I'm not at CBS today. So, all right. Wow. I never, I, I didn't know that, that part of the story. So th there's a lot of like tangential things that like trivia of it all that I, that I don't know. So that's, that's good. I, it's a good thing to learn. Thank you. So qu question number five and the, uh, the final question. All right. Smart guy who actually did it. 
<laughs> I I uh I don't want I don't want to say right now. Exactly. Um, I was like, I, I, I think I know for the go listen to I the th- podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, I th- I think the move is. I mean, here's here's the thing. If if I go okay, Oswald did it alone. Then uh, f- first of all, we got to go issue by. The only way to do it is to go issue by issue. And and what what you find when you do that is you got a column like we were saying, you know, I think it looks good for Os for Oswald. Uh the the question of where was he at the time the shots were fired? It, it doesn't look, you know, it's not that strong that he was in place. It seems to be more evidence that he wasn't in place. But there are things that you go, geez, did they really fabricate the autopsy? It's like, could they really have fa- did they do that? Really? Now there's of course there's fairly strong evidence uh, that that they did okay but um another thing uh here's a here's a big weakness in the conspiracy theory part of the case uh if it was a shot from the front where did that bullet go yeah i don't know i mean i i don't i don't have the answer to that that that's something that's a compelling a compelling question uh, i think but but look i mean uh, ultimately you got to look at all the issues, and again, just going back to the what, why did I do this podcast is is, is one uh, really the big question. I want us to be able to talk. So, I'm I'm intrigued by conspiracies. I'm intrigued by things that I'm not supposed to look at. When somebody, when the people on TV go, we're putting a curtain up around this topic. Do not go look at that. Or if you do, we're going to label you mean names that will hurt you socially and professionally. Right. Um, when they do that, I go, well, what's behind there? Why are you hot? What is that? Right. <laughs> so I'm one of these like free speech people like, no, you should not ban people for misinformation because, you know, as we've seen with, with stuff about, you know, the, the thing with the, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong word on, on YouTube and get in trouble. The thing where everybody was sick, some of the stuff on that, that was banned before now it's turned out to be, oh, maybe that was, you know what I mean? The, the things change before you have information. There needs to be room right. for healthy debate. The JFK assassination was so interesting about this is the one thing that a majority of Americans agree uh, was a conspiracy, but they can't agree how it was a conspiracy. And as a country, how are we acting? Are we acting like it was a conspiracy or it wasn't a conspiracy? The answer is we're acting like we don't know. Okay, we don't we don't trust the government. Right. Like generally, it's like, I don't know. They may have done that. But if they did it for sure, like like no one's like revolting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't be like people aren't like holding like picket signs protesting, you know what I mean? So we kind of so the the net result is just a loss of faith in government a little bit, right? So what I wanted to figure out is either one of two things is the case: either we should trust the government, and that's misplaced uh, skepticism and cynicism about the government, you know what I mean? If if it looks like you know Oswald did it alone, or they lied, but it was a benevolent lie to protect us from nuclear war. Um, but on the other hand, if it if it was a conspiracy, and if it was a conspiracy that involved the government, the CIA, FBI, Secret Service, whatever parts of the government you know you, you, you want to say were involved, really what you're alleging is a coup, right? And if there right. was a coup, it's not like it's not like uh, it, there was ever a reset when it went back to being an uncoup. <laughs> Right. So, so that, that's why it's so important. And, and it's just so hotly disputed that I just realized, like, you got to be able to go issue by issue by issue by issue and then say, I think these happen for the, you know, these things happen for these reasons. Here's my 37 reasons why I think this. Here's my 20 reasons why I think this. 
the counterpoints are these 14 reasons and I hear you, but I'm going to go with the 37. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of, that's kind of, we're, we're getting into the details. That's the plan. Well, two, two things kind of in, in closing, I had a statistics professor in college that always used to say, if someone won't show you their raw underlying data, they're lying to you. Amen. Anybody ought to be willing to do that. You know, we locked up all the Kennedy stuff for 75 years. We we reduced the time. But even Trump came to office saying, I'm going to disclose it all. And there's still, what, 5,000 documents, 3,000 documents that are 16,000. 16,000 remain classified. There was just a lawsuit filed by the Mary Farrell Foundation. And uh, Biden's supposed to disclose the remainder, remain, remaining files by December 15th. But they went ahead and filed this lawsuit to force him to do that. Because probably what he would do is go, here's 1,000. We're keeping the other 15,000 indefinitely. Take a hike. So they're, they're yeah. going, no, you got to disclose it. And if you don't disclose it, the law allows them to not disclose it. But they have to go document by document and explain their basis for not yeah. disclosing it. And they haven't done that. So that's number one. And uh, that being said, to see how far reaching this actually is, Bill Clinton supposedly at his very first cabinet meeting said, I got two questions. One, do we really have a UFO at Area 51 and who killed Kennedy? So, And I believe I believe he was told that, uh, well, maybe that was the UFOs. They told they wouldn't tell him anything about it, he says. I forgot what his answer was to that. Um, but but yeah, it's, uh, you know. Um, I'm definitely more open-minded on the case now that I've I've looked into it uh, deeply, and I understand why people can think all the different things they think, and it's it's overwhelming to look into. But I really appreciate you having me on today and give me a chance to talk so about it. Tell everybody the podcast name, where they can yeah. find it, where's mm-hmm. the Twitter, social sure. media. Give them all it's, the deets. Thanks. It's uh, solving JFK. Uh, the website is solvingjfkpodcast.com. Uh, it's available everywhere you listen to podcasts. So we're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, um, Stitcher, you know, all, all the different networks. And uh, yeah, uh, the trailer's out right now. You can go and subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, we'll, we'll go uh, every episode, every week, we'll have a new episode on Tuesday. Um, we'll take a couple weeks off around the holidays. And then we end up finishing season one right around mid-May. Cool. Cool. Well, just just so you know, I'm available to come on anytime when you need an. I appreciate expert. it. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get your your Earl Rose story. So there we go. Good stuff. True. True as far as you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.